Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Curzon Film Podcast. This week we're talking about Wes Anderson's Isle of Dogs. I'm Jake Cunningham and joining me this week is the Woodford Wolfhound, <laughs> Sam Howlett. Who told you I was called that? I don't know, it just can't like, I know That's you got your friends from school, yeah, and, and the Swedish Valhund of Swindon, <laughs> Beth Webb. Thank you. What an what an introduction. Yeah. Actually, the number of people that miss hear me say Swindon and think Sweden is is quite quite huge. Yeah. So that's thank you for for tapping into that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we're very happy to welcome Beth onto the show. Uh, she has been on a long time ago, but she's back now, and uh, she's a film journalist and programmer for the Bechdel Test Fest, who I'm sure you know, as well as being a multi-platform editor for Random Acts. And not only that, but if you pick up an edition of the Curzon magazine in all of your local Curzons, you can actually find Beth's piece on Isle of Dogs. It's like we planned it. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> it was my debut. It was my Curzon magazine debut. And it was an absolute honour. So I read it last you. night at work. Oh, it's very wonderful. good. I mean, you should have been working at work. Should have been working. <laughs> yeah, there's a massive queue going out at the door. But I had to read that, I had to read that yeah. article. Oh, thank you. Uh, so we'll be talking uh, all about Isle of Dogs and we will be uh, also having an interview, which uh, we've definitely recorded, not happening after this. Sam, tell us about it. <laughs> it was with uh, the animation director, Mark Waring, and he said some some things, some incendiary <gasps> things. Yeah. yeah, shocking, terrifying, horrifying. You'll hear it when we when we play it, and that really translates into the film. Like, it's, it's very much a horror. Yeah, film. Poor dogs. Uh, what, what the, yeah, what they put those through is yeah. yeah. All right. Um, so this uh, Isle of Dogs, if you haven't heard of it, is set in Japan. It follows a young boy named Atari and the odyssey he goes on in search of his lost dog spots. And I think really it, the the human story is kind of a subplot, really. Uh, for me, anyway, it's just seeing these dogs because uh, there's a big ragtag group on this trash island mm. uh, led by Brian Cranston, uh, who is uh, chief. And we just meet his little gang and we stroll around this island. And really, that's what, for me, this film is all about. I think, yeah. if anything, though, the dogs are more human than the humans, one might say. I mean, there's a lot of um, sensitive sensitive lads in this uh, amongst that, that posse of pups, mm. which I think actually 
yeah you kind of relate and I think maybe and obviously this will be something we talk about a little bit more but perhaps one of the film's flaws is that you kind of detach slightly more from the humans over the sake of relating more to the dogs yeah I think that's true I think yeah. uh, a lot of people are saying that they would rather just follow the dog story yeah because you're just hanging out with the dogs yeah. it's not like you're actively they do have a plot but you're happy just to be and just to hang out with them and listen to their relationships with each other yeah. and their kind of I don't want to say that word but I will say it banter yeah. uh, between each other <laughs> it's kind of I think one of my favourite scenes is is they're just walking through kind of a long grass field talking about their reminiscing about their favourite meals mm, yeah. and yeah. one is oh salt and pepper steak but I only have that on my birthday and oh I love ice cream my owner he had a sweet tooth and he, he passed that on to me and it's just that those kind of ramblings that you just you're hanging off their every word mm. and I think that's a real craft um, where was Anderson's concerned well and I think we look at the pun in the title of the film he's very yeah. much just I think what came first is maybe I want to make a dog film and then yeah. you yeah. figure out what the story and the plot is that you wrap around those dogs after an anti-cat film as well yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is very anti-cat this yeah they get a rough ride big problem um, with that but um, I want to uh, start with, with you Beth to go actually look at some some of the ideas that you put forward in the article that you've written for the Curzon magazine mm. which is this idea of animation in Wes Anderson's work before his actual animated films. Um, yeah. Because as a master of construction, it makes sense that for a man who's so particular and so precise and has built a name about that, that he would want to go into this world. Exactly. Um, I mean, it was, so I think it was 2009, Fantastic Mr. Fox, which was the first fully stop motion uh, film that he made. But before that, you obviously see it spring up in things like uh, the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, with that beautiful kind of leopard-spotted jaguar shark, which, if memory serves, was one of the biggest models used in film ever. Um, and uh, just kind of taking that that distinct, very kind of... Or, I'm thinking of the word now. Autourism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he flies his, <laughs> that kind of auteur flair to, uh, to animation, so it kind of transcends the different mediums, which is very impressive. Um, but yes, a return to stop motion for him. But you know, if anything, that kind of lends itself to his that really kind of crack dry wit that he applies to to his um, characters and to his scenarios. Yeah, and this is this is different to Fantastic Mr. Fox, where I think Fantastic Mr. Fox is really just animal characters that behave like humans right? and talk like humans and, and wear clothes. Yeah, and yeah. they're very. It's a like huge like this is a it's a heist film that's yeah. wrapped in a, a roll doll yeah fairy doll, tale exactly uh, and this isn't very this is very different to that in that there is a difference between the people the dogs yeah and there's a distinct drawing of the line between the two which doesn't quite happen in Fantastic Mr Fox I think yeah. he's more interested in building a world with this one yeah and I think as well even in the live action Wes Anderson films that everything's so constructed by him. There's almost because with animation you have more control. You have control over everything with animation, and you get the sense that he has that even in live action. Every every background, every every bit of lighting, or the camera's so like you know the, this whole thing like the sy- symmetrical shot in a Wes mm. Anderson film. He's so in control of everything that it's not a huge leap for him to go into animation. Yeah, it's, it's like a meticulous detail, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, which he applies to himself. And I know that a lot of people say God, he could just step straight into his film and, and just <laughs> yeah. slot in there. Also looks like a murderer. This is becoming... like So I pointed this out on Twitter and now people have been sharing more pictures as well of him in different outfits. Um, one was that 
<laughs> Wes Anderson is the kind of character that would be a supporting character in Hannibal that would eventually get eaten by the end of the series. <laughs> uh, which, uh, like, now I can't not look at him as a kind of serial well, killer rather than a character in his own film. But, you know. I liked your tweet where you said he's the kind of person that would kill people and kind of trap their souls in those in those <laughs> tiny miniature. I'd love to just walk around in your mind sometimes, Jake. I think it's a very well, dark Wes Anderson, this like lovely, sweet man who's made, made, like, made like, very <laughs> nice, colourful yeah. films. And you're like, oh, kill, serial killer. Absolutely, yeah. Mercenary. <laughs> he's very he's very secretive, though, isn't he? Like, he doesn't do many interviews. Yeah. That's why it's not people to know. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, we went to the exhibition of the sets, and you could just hear screaming from inside. <laughs> These little, like, I assumed as much. Help, help, help. help. It was awful. Yeah. It was really, I've not quite come back from there. Yeah, there was like a tiny Brian Cranston just walking around. Oh, I haven't seen him for a while, actually. Yeah. yeah, that's what he's up to. Let's talk about the exhibition, because I think, like, whilst people are listening to this, there's still an opportunity to go on to it. Uh, Sam, you haven't had the chance I to haven't yet. go yet. Convince me. Uh, well, it's it's wonderful, isn't it? It's yeah. like even though like we would encourage you to watch this at the cinema and watch it as big as possible, mm. you're still never going to get the amount of detail mm. that is actually on show in these sets. Exactly, and I'd been before seeing the film, so I saw the film uh, after going to the exhibition, and uh, I don't think it spoils it. I think if you want to look into it and look for clues and and look for kind of all oh, could this mean this? Don't don't do that. Just go and enjoy the splendor. Enjoy like we say this kind of meticulous attention to detail. Um, a friend went at the weekend and, and had a little look around the back. So everyone was kind of marvelling at yeah. the splendour sort of face on and he was looking at the masking tape and things, kind of sticking it together. Um, and it's just a nice way to spend like an afternoon, really. Yeah, it's it's really, really lovely. And I'm sure we get into this with Mark Waring, uh, just about how many... Actually, I think there's um, quite a small team. I think it's about 33 okay. people that are involved in this, which is amazing. When, I'm like, sure we'll find at, out in the yeah, interview. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... Like how much time would have spent on it, and I'd be interested to learn about what role Wes Anderson actually has in that. Like whether he just drops in and just checks that everyone's doing the right thing. Or... Well, that's it, and it was filmed in London, wasn't it? Mm. I was I was actually at a public screening of of Other Dogs, and there were a few people kind of craning to look at the credits and a few cheers. I feel like actually, it's a good it's a good place to watch it in London because mm. it, mm. it was all kind of well created here which is pretty yeah. unheard of. I don't unless you know Armin in Bristol, but you don't get a lot of UK animation, which is well, and. It was recorded here as well. The cast yeah. actually came over ah. to England to record their lines, except one. Who? Mr. Jeff Goldblum. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Goodness. But he loves London. I know. He loves foggy London, London town. town. <laughs> <laughs> that was stunning. That was just wonderful. <laughs> yeah, he, he, had, yeah. he had a job on. Um, so he, he oh. just recorded them over the phone. Like, not even... Oh, uh, great. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Do you know us in London? What? The Isle of Dogs. Oh, man. That's good. Yeah. That's really good. <laughs> good. All right. I didn't realise this is where this film was set. Yeah. It's deceptive because the sets were confusing, you think it's isn't Japan. it? You would really think it's in Japan. Um, but it's in but London. no, apparently it's yeah. London. Yeah. Who'd have thunk? It's on the map, Amazing. Wild Dogs. All right. Um, should we maybe talk about what the film, what happens in the film? Nah. <laughs> nah. Or should, actually, should we go? Should we go to the interview and then we'll let's get do the interview? Yeah. yeah. Mark Waring was the uh, animation director of the film, and he has worked previously. He worked on Fantastic Mr. Fox. He has worked with Tim Burton on Corpse Bride and Frank and Weenie. So he's a man who knows his stuff about stop motion animation. And we, I'm sure, had a lovely chat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and we're now joined by Mark Waring, the animation director of. Uh, Isle of Dogs, thank you very much for joining us. 
No problem, nice to be here. Uh, so do you want to start by telling us uh, what it is exactly that you do and uh, what your role was on Isle of Dogs? Um, I'm an animation director and uh, as part of my job as on the Isle of Dogs, um, basically it was just to organise and run the animation department. Yep. So I was heading up that team. So yeah. part of the, the initial job was to speak with Wes, understand what he was yeah. wanting from like the script, from the from the initial ideas. So it was yeah. sort of brought in at a fa- fairly early stage. Um, so it was sort of getting a grip of what the production was, yeah. um, what we needed, and then bringing in like an animation team. So like sure. putting the team together, the, um, the animators, the assistants, um, gradually building that up over a period of time and actually trying to sort of tailor and and mentor those animators to try and sort of yeah. get Wes's vision, I suppose, okay. onto the screen. And um, I, I heard that he's this is eight years in, in the running, this film? Um, quite possibly. I mean, he's, he's uh, it's been a few years since um, Fantastic Mr. Fox yeah. came out. So um, whether this was brewing around that sort of time, I mean, I, I sort of led to believe that he used to come to the studio and, and in the cab or whatever on the way over, he used to see the signs for... Right, a direction to the Isle of Dogs, <laughs> um, and thought, oh, that's a nice idea. Yeah. And I might sort of expand on that. So I don't know whether that's an urban myth or whether that's okay. sort of fits quite nicely. Yeah, it does. Uh, yeah, sort of going to the East End and and that's where we shoot. There. Yeah, so it sort of ties in quite nicely and Brilliant. sort of with a new idea and sort of putting that all together. Yeah, and what sort of stage? What sort of stage would you normally come onto a project like this? Like, were you there when the script was being made, or was it a bit later? Or? Um, it was quite early on, actually. I mean, it, yeah. the script had been written. Okay. Um, so I was contacted um, and had an early sort of, like I say, little sort of chat with Wes about the, the production. But at yeah. that point, there was they'd been working on an animatic, which is like a sort of a, a storyboarded out yeah. version of that. So it hadn't been completed, but it, they were working on that. So okay. they had an idea of the actual uh, structure, I guess, and yeah. sort of how it was going to look. But it was more... Uh, the look and the style of it that was sort of still sort of in that process so okay. I was on board at that point to try and okay. work out you know the look of it the style how the animation was going to sort of appear on the screen yeah. is it smooth is it rough is it is there any references for that you know right. where, all those sort of elements so it was quite an early stage it was, it, was, yeah. um, it was quite nice then to develop that into testing when we actually had puppets and working with that so it was it was uh, yeah the development time was was sort of crucial in a way in actually sort of staging the whole film, but I was sort of at the beginning of that process. Yeah, yeah. and so you were you were on Fantastic Mr. Fox with I, Wes. I was, yeah, because that was his first animation film. Obviously, was he very much like a newcomer to that when he when he came onto that film and had to sort of relearn this new skill in a way? I th- oh, yeah, I think it was. I mean, it, it's it was slightly different. I've worked on um, Tim Burton films before, yeah, and, sure. and he sort of has a a history of of. Yeah, animation in in you know he was an animator. I think he you know that's how he started in his career. So, but I think Wes hadn't had that, and but he obviously had a he was a fan of that sort of style right. of animation. I think he you know enjoys uh, those sort of the, the classic like through the, his childhood. I think growing up like Rankin Bass and mm. those sort of like holiday sort of entertainment things that had a stop frame feel yeah. to them. I think he quite enjoyed those and. Sort of, I think it's it's mainly about the craft of it. I think his okay. his films are all about craft. Yeah, absolutely. The the actual sort of uh, the detail, you know, they're they're absolutely full of that yeah. sort of work. Um, and with stop frame, you you get all that for free. I mean, it's you know because you have have to make all the objects. So they're actually yeah. physical things, so you have to de- develop that the 
the make the things, design them, paint them, all that sort of stuff, yeah. which is exactly what he's into. So I think that was obviously uh, of an interest to him to try, yeah, to try sure. and go that, that route. Um, and I think as he started into that process, he, he realized that he had ultimately ultimate control over everything. Yeah. There was no being forced, like if you're shooting a live action thing, the light's going so you can't shoot yeah. or you can't do something. He, he could control things. He could make sure that everything was absolutely spot on before he actually let it out. So I think he learned that process as well, especially the yeah. boarding side of it was interesting because I think the the process of actually being able to literally board out every single shot and that's what you got. It yeah. wasn't, there wasn't a no compromise in that, you know, it's live action. Oh, you can't get that because of sure, yeah. whatever reason. If you're doing a stop frame film, you, you build a set, you point a camera at it and you can get it absolutely exactly where you want it to yeah. be. And again, I think that fits in with his ethos and how he likes to present his work. And, and I think it's, it's, it's that sort of thing that he's almost like led back into his live action films, yeah. the actual boarding process. I think, um, Grand Budapest Hotel, I think he, he completely boarded that film out mm. as almost like an animation film. Right, okay. So he had a working animatic and they just followed that. That's in a way what gives it its, its fullness and its richness yeah. in that because it's so worked out ahead of time. So yeah. I think he's sort of, he's sort of, it's fluid between those two mediums now and it's sort of like, it's almost like they, it's just a filmmaking process that he yeah. uses. It's, it's the idea that he can completely build a world from from scratch. Exactly, I think that's yeah. absolutely right. And I think I think that's that's obviously what you can do. And you know, with Isle of Dogs, he's 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 built a world from scratch. But it's it's unusual in stop frame because you physically have to build this world. Yeah, you know, it's it's yeah. something where yeah, we've we've got amazing amount of sets and locations and characters, hundreds hundreds of characters. You know, there's hundreds of sets. So yeah. it's, 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 it was a very, very ambitious project to do that. But Wes didn't want to compromise that. He had mm. this idea of this Isle of Dogs yeah. world in his head and he just wanted to realise that. And part of our process was to actually sort of yeah. achieve that, I suppose. So what was Wes's kind of brief to the animation department? Because like, it's, you know, it's not like it's perfectly fluid. You know, there's some rough edges to it. No, no, absolutely. Yeah. And, and that was deliberate. That was absolutely yeah. designed to be that way. Yeah. I mean, we had the discussions at the start. I mean, you can take it in all sorts of directions. I mean, yeah. there's, you know, stop frame, it's, a, it's an open board. I mean, you can, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. I mean, you can go to, like, Leica do amazing work, but their work is very slick. Yeah. You know, like Box Trolls or Coraline or whatever. They, they you know, those sort of films. They're very, very crafted films, but their their design and their look is very smooth. It's very slick. Um, we deliberately didn't go that route. He wanted to see the craft, see the handmade, yeah. say, actually see the mistakes. And yeah. also, sometimes when we did stuff that was a little bit too smooth, he broke it up. He took frames out, edited right. stuff out okay. to actually give it give it a little bit more. I don't know weight, a little bit more sort of substance yeah. to it. So. It was a deliberate choice. Um, also, like with faces, um, we, we have, to give different expressions, we have replacement faces on the human characters. Yeah. Again, going back to Leica, they have a process of printing these out and they can develop them on computers. And it gives a beautiful, fluid um, approach to how, how you can change an expression or yeah. speak or, or that sort of thing. And it's, it's an amazing process. And I mean, you know, there's, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of these replacement heads that you... you put on the character for each frame. Wes wanted to do that route, but he just didn't want to do it like that. So we had a very, very limited palette. Yeah. Um, 
you know, a, a face would pop from one to another. Literally, it was yeah. just one frame pop. But he wanted to see the pop. He wanted people to know that that was a pop. And he wanted to sort of see, almost like they were like masks, you know, there's, okay. there's a kabuki theatre sure, yeah. sort of sequence in there. But it, it was something like that he wanted to get. It was, again, like, going back to Leica, they, they do um, the development on, on a computer to get, you know, a, a sort of a very fluid style. And whereas in order to not do that, he had them hand sculpted. Right. So they were all done individually by hand. So there is... Naturally, if you pop from one to another, there's going to be a discrepancy. It's, it's, an, yeah. it's inherent, it's built in. And they're hand-painted as well. So again, there's another level to that. So all these things were, were designed to give a sort of... It's, it's not a roughness, but it's, but it's, it's a, a viewable, natural, textural feel yeah. that he was deliberately wanted to see there. He wasn't trying to hide that in any way. It was, it was a deliberate approach. So it's quite a brave approach because the purest, the pure animation right. sort of fraternity may look at that and go oh it's not as good as I think it could yeah, be yeah, yeah. but that was that wasn't the intention sure. the intention was wasn't about that it was about telling the story and the idea that these dogs you know they're on an island it's they're rough and ready they've been abandoned they're sort of feeling awful they look terrible you know all those things yeah. sort of fitted in with that idea that it's all a bit sort of rough and ready and it's you know it's earthy almost yeah this goes back to the uh, sort of argument idea that you can see the thumbprints yeah. on the on the plastic. No, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, this, this. I think there was again. Maybe it's an urban myth. I'm not, I'm not sure, but they, but they, like Ardman did it so well. Yeah, they got they got the technique of plasticine down so well. It was super smooth, and it all was almost looking like a sort of CG process. Right. And they sort of realised that yeah. it was all too good. So they actually ended up sort of messing stuff yeah. up and actually putting stuff back in. That's well, they didn't need yeah. to. So, so it's sort of that process, and it's and I think it's it's the right medium for it. I mean, if if you do go too far the other way, then it does become something else. It becomes something that's competing with CG, and it's it's not. It shouldn't be that. It should be. Yeah. It's a handmade process. It's something that you you know you have to make the costumes, you have to make the puppets, you have to make the sets. They're physically there in space. You know, there's something about mm. it that's tangible. It's 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 that's the important part of it. And if yeah. you, if you embrace that and go with that. That's what it is. That's the world. That's the world versus built. Who's to argue that it isn't supposed yeah, to be that way? Sure. So, so it's 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 all valid. It's it's not a it's yeah. not a fault or a, a, something that's wrong. It's actually it's a it's a it's a conscious choice. Yeah, I think there's a kind of um, this kind of existing conception that um, stop motion animation is really painstaking and really long. And like, is that the case still? Is it that long? That much of a sort of yeah, but, you know, um, it is a long process. I mean, just by the nature of how you actually yeah. physically have to do it. But we're going as fast as we can. <laughs> it's, it's not like we're going yeah. slowly. I mean, we, as, as an animation team, are going as quickly as humanly yeah. possible yeah. To, to get this thing done in the time. So it's a perception of what how long things are. Right, I mean, if you okay. ask an animator, they're rushing. Sure. <laughs> they're, they're, trying, they're, they're working really hard day after day after day as fast as they possibly can to get this done. And it just so happens that their work is a slow process. So, you know, on, on, a, on, a, on a good day, an animator, depends on obviously what, what the shot they're doing, but on, on an average, we're trying to aim for about yeah. two, two seconds per animator per day right. on screen. Um, which is not a lot of time no. you know in, yeah. in our scheme of things but in order to do that there's a whole load of other 
processes that have to happen around the animator. Yeah. I mean, be, even before you start, you know, it's got to be sets have got to be made, built, positioned. The lighting team's got to come in, light stuff. Um, then, as an animation side of it, you know, you might come in and do some some tests. Then do maybe a little sort of pop through if there's a complicated yeah. shot where there's lots of characters. You've got to work out the choreography of that, where camera might move to. Is it okay with the lighting? Um, so you go through that process. If you've got time and it's and it's sort of available, then you might do like a, a sort of rough rehearsal of yeah. that. So there's a whole rehearsal, rehearsal process. Only then do you actually do the shot. Right. And at that point, you hopefully have got all the information you need to actually uh, go forward and, and shoot and you, and you get your two seconds a day. So from start to finish, it is a long process, yeah. but it's not it's not a case that people are sitting around and it's just, you know, the time is just ticking yeah. by. <laughs> Everybody's working really hard. There's a yeah. big team of people that are actually trying to do this. So, But in order to sort of facilitate that, obviously we have quite a few animators that work at yeah. the same time. I know we've got up to about 30-ish altogether at our peak point. That's including assistants. So there's a lot of, lot of people working together yeah. on stages and we had... We had up, I think we got up to about sort of 50-ish units to okay. shoot in. Wow. So there's 50 stages that we're yeah. working on at any one time. You know, some are being built, some are being shot on, some yeah. are being dismantled. So there's there's a whole fl fluid process. But but it's ongoing all the time. It's, it's like all these things add up. Mm. So uh, if an animator's doing a couple of seconds a day, then again, in a good week, we might hit about two minutes-ish. Okay. Yeah, two minutes of footage to get into the film per week. So, if you if you're looking at that, it's it's sort of relative. You can sort of work out how long yeah. the production's going to be, but it's sort of relative. I mean, uh, a CG production, you know, if it's a computer yeah. graphic, computer generated film, that's equally as slow. You've still got an animator. Yeah, you know, they've still got to animate. You've still got to go through a whole process of approvals, designs. The animation process, any rendering that has to happen, any lighting that still has to happen on that. So there's still a huge amount of time that those yeah. films take. It's not like stop frame is extortionally longer than <laughs> yeah. any any other medium. You know, it's 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 a slow process to make a, a an animated yeah. feature film. And uh, when these you know 50 stages are being you know uh, worked on at once, is, is Wes kind of floating around all of them, or is he focused on one per day? Or no, I mean he's. To be honest, he's, he's rarely there on okay. a daily basis. I mean, that's part of my my job, yeah. my remit, is I'm sort of his eyes and ears on the floor. Right, okay. So um, having said that, he's by not actually physically being there, he is there at all times covering everything. He, yeah. he works mainly by email. Um, so we send absolutely everything to him on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, and it's all about communication. So we're backwards and forwards with ideas, images, setups designs yeah everything goes to him i mean personally i had about fifty thousand emails on the production Jesus. and that's just my yeah my side i mean you've got all the other departments that are emailing he's emailing back yeah so he's straight strangely if if he was there and when we did have him there in the studio because he's so focused on what he does he he tends to um work very sort of strongly on one yeah. particular area so it might be we're looking at one set or a couple of sets maybe we get through three three things during the day and yeah work very you know it's great to have that sort of direct input because it, you can move things forward very quickly but he'll only see those three things whereas working slightly remotely from that he, yeah. can, he can actually oversee 
40 things yeah. all at the same time and get back to them really, really quickly. Right. Whereas it's it's very difficult as, I mean, again, part of my job is, is to sort of go around and try and see everybody during the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just being raced around the studio constantly seeing one person, I have a couple of minutes with them and it's like, you've got to go and see the next person, yeah. you go and see that. And it's really difficult to keep that moving and con- constantly flowing because you've got to just try and keep everything moving forward all the time. So by doing what I'm doing, it sort of frees him up to allow more attention to yeah. a different department or a different part of the production he's actually working on at that particular time. So it sort of works that way. It's a bit quite collaborative yeah. sort of way to okay. work. Um, there's a couple of sequences that really stand out to me as they must have you know, taken a lot of planning to do. And those are, so there's like the dog fights in the film where they all have the, have the scuffle and there's all the smoke that comes out around them. And then there's the, the sushi scene. Were those particularly troublesome uh, um, sequences? Um, well, I say troublesome. I mean, every, everything in the film was a, was an issue and a problem. Yeah, right. It's like reading the <laughs> script. Every single thing was, how do we do that? Yeah, yeah. How do we make those dogs? How do we do some water? How do we do the smoke? How do we yeah. do the steam? All those things. We had to go through a whole process of development on those um, quite a lot of the elements you know the sort of smoke airs waters that sort of thing it's 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 almost as much work as actually the animation of the characters because you have to you have to work into that um for the fight we call it the fight cloud when the when the animals are fighting in there i mean again it was a very early reference that, that was sort of picked up on that sort of slightly cartoony sort of roadrunner tex avery style where yeah, yeah. you know characters clash and there's a big sort of fight i mean we could have actually had it with the characters fighting but it would have been technically a huge difficult yeah. process so actually it's slightly a way of disguising yeah. a lot yeah. of potential work but it sort of brings another level to it that that's slightly unusual and just an intriguing way of solving a problem in a physical form yeah. so we had to work out you know we had to have like cotton and wadding we had different sort of techniques for doing that and then we had to realize okay well it's going to be quite big so we had to build like a structure inside it almost like a a metal skeleton armature inside the fight cloud to support the the actual material and also it was quite useful because we've had arms and legs of characters sticking out so they could be attached to this so it was almost this mutant metal mass (laughs) underneath the underneath the cloud um, but that was a process we got to that point by developing the idea yeah. and, and what we needed to do but it was always the end goal to have something that looked a bit sort of you know sort of drawn cartoon style yeah. in that um, and again going into the into the sushi that that was a, a brief that we had at a very early stage that Wes wanted to um, have a, a sort of cultural references through the yeah. film that were correct you know there's sure. you know Kabuki Theatre there's taiko drummers there's the sumo wrestling yeah. you know, all these places all these things we had to research quite a lot into the all the cultural aspects to make sure they were right we were doing it you know in a sympathetic way yeah. that was understood you know people would watch it and go, oh yeah that's how they do that that's the right etiquette or whatever so it was all very carefully thought about um but the sushi was something that wes wanted I think it was a, a, a favourite sushi chef of his that okay. I think it's from in Paris that he when he visits there he, he, he uses a lot um, so it's sort of based on this one guy and we sculpted his hands to look like him wow. and, um, but he wanted to get a yeah. sense of uh, the sushi being 
recognizable. So if you're a sushi chef, you could go, okay, they're holding the knife in the right way. They're cutting in the right yeah. way. The process is obviously stylized, but, but he wanted to make sure that it was sort of correct in that way. But also we would develop out of that a style of sushi that had never, ever been done before in the whole history yeah. of sushi making. And it would be the greatest sushi thing ever. <laughs> So it's quite a tough brief. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but we uh, we had to go through that, and again, it was a process. We had to develop what we were going to do, what what items we were going to use, yeah. how how to research the the actual cutting processes, and the the, the how they are held things in hands, and, yeah. and all those sort of that sort of side of it. Then obviously the armatures have to be made. Can you can't just cut an, a stop frame fish in half? You're gonna have to yeah. work out can it wriggle? How does it wriggle? You know, how do we make it move? We've got to put something inside it, or we can't cut it then. So we're gonna have to have replacement bits. Okay, right. we've got to make those replacement bits. What do they look like? So there's a whole whole sort of development process even before we were anywhere near shooting. And then yeah. we did lots of testing. Um, we did like a. Uh, sort of a, a very rough pass of everything made out of cardboard and bits and yeah. bobs to actually sort of develop is this looking right so we didn't want to get halfway through it and realize oh this isn't working um so all in all it was probably about six months of work okay wow for that one yeah. shot in the film which is which is mad yeah but it was there was no way around it there was no shortcut sure. in that. we had to go through those processes to get to build to where we were at the end and then finally mark um so you've worked with these big directors Tim Burton with Anderson and they're like real beloved directors um, and they're making these prestige animated films have you noticed a change in like recent years about the reception of animated films from like the sort of critic community yeah it? I think so I mean it's I mean I think they were they were sort of always seen as slightly niche things especially features I mean yeah um, but I think everybody loves a good story yeah, and if it works as a story, you know people are going to enjoy that. So, I think there's been a there's a, been a huge resurgence. I mean, I mean not just stop frame, but in all sorts of mediums. You know, you've got, you've got Pixar, you know, winning awards, winning Oscars, up for, yeah. you know, almost going for the actual live action yeah. awards, which is incredible. You know, that's that's a, that's a huge tick in animation's box. Yeah. Um, but I think. I mean, not that it is about money, but I think a lot of a lot of features have never really been successful, huge in the box office, critically yet, but in the box office. But I think now distributors and finances are realising oh, actually they do make money. There's, yeah. there's there's a longevity to it. There's there's a you know people will go and see a good film if it's well made, well crafted. People will enjoy that. Yeah. But also, there there is a, a back end to that. I mean, the, the merchandising side of it and all that sort of stuff. And I think that's that's always it's always been there. But I think now, you know, there's there's more emphasis on that. And I think it becomes as part of the whole package. I mean, it, yeah. it shouldn't be just about that. It should be about yeah. the film itself. And that's what we do. I mean, we we craft these films because we love making them. But right. if they are successful, then there will be more of them. Yeah. So we want them to be successful. Yeah, yeah. So there's like a, a double-edged sword there. It's a little bit of a catch-22. Um, but all you can do is make a good film. That's what yeah. you try and do. So you hopefully, you know, by doing that and putting your best into it, then the results will come out the other side. But I, th I think it's there is there's a, there has been a change. I think there is, I think there's more awareness of you know I think you know kids now are more aware that. You know, animated films are available. They they can yeah. they're out there. They can go and see them in the cinema. It's not something you get on a 
just on a DVD or whatever. Yeah. There's, there's a big screen feel about that. And I think that's where Stop Frame fits in as well because it's a great experience. You know, you go and see these films on the screen and, yeah. and they're huge. They're, they're you know, visually, they're, they're cinematic. Toys, cinematic. Yeah. These things that they maybe sort of play with at home or whatever come to life and it's yeah. an amazing thing to see. So, you know, rather than just seeing it on their phones or whatever, I think that's, that's, that's a great thing. And I think there's a, also there's a, there's a sort of feeling that sort of involving adults as well into that process of animated films. So it's yeah. not just for kids. You can make it work on, on different levels. You know, you can bring in adult themes or, or sort of an understanding of a storyline that maybe yeah. is something that's going to engage adults as well. So it's not just one demographic or one market that you're actually aiming these sort of animated films at. They're, they're a broader range. And I think that's, that's a slightly a newer feel okay. to these things and I think yeah. that's it's an interesting thing you know, how, do you, how do you balance that how do you make that work for, yeah. for both if that's your target you know because you get adults and kids to go yeah you know it's great they're willing to help be entertained but if you're looking on a purely financial basis yeah. you've got a whole family going to the cinema which is obviously good for everybody on that side of it as well so so it's it's I think that's, it's not the goal of every animation film but I think that's partly new, a newish sort of right. thing to actually sort of try and cater for both of those things so I think you know long may that continue because I think that will make interesting films and interesting ideas and you know especially like Isle of Dogs it's got, got quite a few of those yeah. more you know scratch the surface and there's some deeper themes in there that will you know pe- cause people to question and, and think and, and come away from the film being entertained but also actually you know, oh, actually, that's got a little message there as well that's, got, that's saying something you know and I think that's 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 an important thing to have as well it's like a extra strings to your bow in actually the yeah. filmmaking process absolutely uh, Mark Roy thank you for your time no no problem nice to, uh, nice to talk to you cheers thank you hey I'm Ryan Reynolds recently I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts they said what the f*** are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So Sam, how was that? Oh, the best uh, experience of my life. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't too wearing. I didn't think you'd start throwing things. Yeah, that was a bit uncomfortable. But I would start catching them and throwing them back. So it was a nice little back and forth between us. Oh, it was like a nice. little stop motion in itself. It was, indeed, yeah. yeah. But uh, stop motion, I've always said, works best on a podcast. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> did he then trap you inside a tiny little yeah, body? He did. <laughs> so that's why I'm the size I am now. Yeah. Okay, so Isle of Dogs. This is about Atari Kobayashi, who is uh, a, a boy who's orphaned and then yeah. uh, made yeah. to ward his bad 
uncle, who is also the mayor. Mayor Kobayashi. Yes. Uh, Kobayashi is also the name under the cup in Usual Suspects. Is it really? It is. Uh, and I think like this is something that we like, we can definitely get stuck into this and we could probably spend a whole podcast on this, of this idea of uh, like Wes Anderson very much being a Western voice applying that to yeah, Japanese so. culture. In the I mean, that, Atari. Yeah, which is not yeah. a Japanese name, which right. is the name that two men came up with for their video game system to sound Japanese. And uh, Kobayashi, which is most yeah. famous for being the cup in Usual Suspects. And, well, Pete Postlethwaite's character is Mr. Kobayashi. Yeah. Or is it in Usual Suspects? <sighs> So he he's uh, he's warding his mayor, and the mayor is very much a cat person. He wants to he hates dogs, and there's this conspiracy of uh, snout flu, snout fever. Yes, yes. Uh, that uh, is infecting all the dogs, and so he sends them all to live on Trash Island. Uh, but one of these beloved dogs' spots is that of Atari, and the first dog. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Dog Zero. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and Dog Zero uh, spots is sent to Trash Island, and then uh, is it a month, a few months? I think it's a few months later. Yeah. A few months later, Atari takes a tiny little plane over yes. to Trash Island mm. to look for his dog, and that's where we start meeting everyone. Yeah, I loved it. I think it's not without its flaws. I mean, what what isn't really? Do a little reading before you go into this, perhaps. Maybe uh, my friend who I watched it with who said, you know, don't watch it in a bubble. Um, mm-hmm. Be aware that perhaps, you know, just things like notice things like you can understand the dog speaking, but there's no subtitles. And it's very much addressed sort of first in the first few scenes that, you know, you will yeah. hear the dog speaking in English. You will not hear Japanese. There won't be Jap- Japanese subtitles. That's very much left for you to kind of decipher from that mm. what you will, which I think in that is part of the problem, really, because you do just have to sort of guess and go by. I, I know it was a conscious decision by Anderson, but I ended up sort of just not communicating or not really connecting with his characters as much. But obviously loving yeah, the dogs. Yeah, because the, so the Japanese characters aren't subtitled. They'll have um, a translator or a radio well, broadcast. It's Frances McDormand yeah. for which most is... of the film, which is quite <laughs> surreal. Yeah. Yeah. She's the translator. She's the translator, but then occasionally you are just left to kind of fend for yourself. And yeah. I, I, because of that, and some of the most distraught and frustrating parts of the film, you know, are the parts without the subtitles. And mm. you, he kind of makes uh, Atari into kind of a caricature at times so yeah. to compensate for the fact that you can't understand what he's saying. And I thought that was a bit of an issue. I think it, as well you were right in saying that um, he wants you to cite, it's, the, it's a dog's story. Mm. This is what he wants you to focus on. This is what he wants everyone to talk about. He wants this to be a film about the dogs. And maybe it's problematic, but to really ensure that it's that you don't know what the humans are saying to each other. I think it's a very sort of simple technique mm. to, to use ultimately. Yeah, compared to Fantastic Mr. Fox where it's yeah. just everyone can talk to each other. Yeah. And there's yeah. no rules. Well, you can hear all the American humans. You can hear Greta Gerwig, wonderful mm. Greta Gerwig. Mm. I would have liked to have connected to all characters. Mm. Yeah, I think that is Equally true. Um, you, and and you, you do end up connecting more to the dog story. Yeah, inevitably so. But I just think that was just something, if you go to that extraordinary amount of yeah. effort to make an extraordinary film, maybe make it so you can understand everyone, everyone. in that film. Yeah. Um, also, you know, I mean, Wes Anderson isn't great at kind of presenting very rounded, kind of formulated female characters. I think that, again, they, they sort of took the bullet again here. It was kind of that the role that they served was to um, kind of vamp up the, the males and give them strength and give them support, but never actually had much of a of a storyline themselves. Uh, but I still loved it. I still I still absolutely loved it, and it made me laugh. And I can't say much about Tilda Swinton's character other than to say she was my favourite. Um, she is the oracle. 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 She's a tiny, yeah. tiny 
pug called Oracle, and I don't really want to say much more than that because she's a real scene stealer of a of a pup. Yeah. <laughs> I think, uh, and every every dog has his day, you know, <laughs> and everyone gets their moment. And maybe we should do a roll call uh, because this cast list is pretty yeah. long. Well, that's the thing at the end of the trailer, isn't it? It goes through everyone with that that dr- the drums going. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we've got Brian Cranston as Chief uh, and Koyo Rankin as Atari Kobayashi. Those are our big players, really. Yeah. Like, uh, but then along with that, Ed Norton as Rex, Bob Balaban as King, Bill Murray as Boss, Jeff Goldblum as Duke, uh, Kanichi Nomura as Mayor Kobayashi, Akira Takeyama as Mayor, uh, Major Domo, Greta Gerwig as Tracy Walker, Francis McDormand as Interpreter Nelson, Akira Itu as France, uh, Professor Watanabe, Scarlett Johansson as Nutmeg, Harvey Keitel as Gondo, F. Murray Abraham as Jupiter. Jupiter's wonderful. Jupiter's a cool character. Yeah. Uh, Yoko Ono as assistant scientist Yoko Ono. Uh, Tilda Swinton as Oracle. Ken Watanabe as head surgeon. Mary Natsuki as auntie. Fisher Stevens as scrap. Uh, Nijiro Murakami as editor Moroshi. Leif Schreiber as spots. Courtney B. Vance as the narrator. Uh, Yujiro Noda as news anchor. And Frank Wood as simul translate machine. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, and not forgetting Angelica Houston as mute dog. <laughs> uh, which is in the credits she so, was brilliant yeah. sad to say <laughs> scene, she's a scene stealer yeah. god yeah. only um, true fans would spot that cameo yeah. who was she? No, genuinely she, no it's just in the credits she's a mute animal for goodness sake for goodness sake <laughs> what did she do just stand next to a microphone for two hours it's the most weird do you think he directed her? Yeah. do you think he paid her? <laughs> well, I hope that it was only, like Jeff Goldblum did it over the phone from LA but Angelica Houston came Flew over to England, England. <laughs> yeah stood around <laughs> oh. right um so let's so there's a massive cast list there there's lots of old favorites from wes anderson films with edward norton bob balaban bill murray jeff goldblum mm-hmm. um france mcdormand like loads of people on there and it's interesting to me that he brings in a new boy a good boy he's to, a very for, good boy for the lead yeah <laughs> brian cranston what do we reckon as chief I mean, you can't, you just can't go wrong with Brian Cranston. I feel like that's almost an easy, too easy a choice. Okay. Um, but in that he's, he's effortlessly, oh, in that, just, just stretch that to about seven syllables then. He's, uh, he's effortlessly, effortlessly authoritative and authentic and commanding. And he's just got that, like, depth to his voice mm. that just carries and you would you would just follow him wherever he went really and he's got this chip on his shoulder and uh an, an easy but effective choice i think yeah, uh, yeah. The, the last thing people would have seen him in was last flag flying friend of the show brian cranston yeah almost double friend of the show not couldn't quite make it yeah 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 uh, i will text him next time and i think there is something in in the last flag flying role of that kind of just gruff captain authority yeah. figure that uh like even in this film even though he's a dog he feels like he's maybe drunk a lot of whiskey in I his life so. yeah <laughs> a lot from, of from the floor yeah and i think he, his character in if 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 his character in last flag flying was in this team of dogs that he'd be well up for the adventure yeah. be, come on let's go yeah which is not chief's role really no chief is the naysayer of the, mm. of the pack mm. he's he's the one that doesn't trust the humans mm. We meet uh, all the gang, or there's a core gang, which is Chief, Rex, King, Boss, and Duke. Do you know which one I had a problem with? Which one? Knowing me, which one do you think I was would be a problem? I had a problem with. What are those? I have no idea. King. Why is that? Because he wears human clothes. 
oh yeah you're scared of animals and human clothes <laughs> yeah. hey, King wasn't the mascot no was isn't King no, um, Bill Murray's bo- boss isn't I boss thought was my favourite. with the Dodgers oh, jersey. Who was the one? Is that is that Boss with the Dodgers? He's the sports the little mascot. mascot. Yeah. I will yeah, that was boss. fight you. Boss was brilliant. Yeah, it's, it's boss blurring was a line. What, he what's... was a mascot. It was his job. He was just doing his job. I had a problem with it. Well, <laughs> I've I'm... got a problem with you, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he, he's nice. They're, they're, they're nice dogs. They're, they're good nice dogs, dogs, Brent. <laughs> <laughs> Great dogs, Sam. Uh, yeah, and so there, there's this little gang of Rex King, Boss, uh, Duke, and then Chief is is the leader. And they kind of squabble amongst themselves when Atari crash lands on the trash island mm-hmm. about what do we do with this kid? Do we yeah. help him? And they're up there helping them. But Chief has been, has been burnt by humans before and he very much is into the fact that they're isolated and they can do what they want, yeah. and they shouldn't really help anyone anymore. He's like Koba in Planet of the Apes. Yes. If you remember Planet of the Apes. Yeah. He's the one that doesn't trust the humans when everyone else does. Good. No. A reference. <laughs> <laughs> Callback. Yeah, do that. Saw that film. Great. And then it's his journey of trust and like, yeah. le- learning there are a lot what it is to be a dog. feelings. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to like the shortlist article, you know, the shortlist think piece, <laughs> like this crying dog made me go over my hyper-masculinity and embrace the inner, inner hound. I don't know. There's, there's bound to be like a think piece in there. You can have that shortlist. You can have that on me. But um, yeah, it's incredible. Like, it's okay to be a mutt. <laughs> Yeah, like. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, there's a lot of character development over plot. Really, plot is kind of, as you say, the plot is just kind of a sub, sub part to this uh, animation, and um, there's a lot of confrontation, and you know they break down and they pledge oaths of allegiance, and it's all very regal and loyal, and yeah, like dogs. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that that's so on the on Trash Island, that plot is really just. We're wandering Trash Island and we're getting to know each other and we're becoming yeah. friends. F-R-I-E-N-D-S. Do you really need them? Yes. So, yeah, and that's a really lovely journey to go on. And as we said, that that's the one that we're probably most happy to stay in. But uh, maybe this is a good opportunity to talk about what's going on outside of the island. Yeah. I think this is, for me, the weakest part of the film would be what's going on outside of the island. Mm-hmm. Because what's happening on the island is so good and so fun. And you really use you just really enjoy being with this pack that when it goes back and there's it's very plotty. Mm-hmm. So when when they they come onto the island, so there's a there's a conspiracy a conspiracy that the the mayor uh, kind of was the cause of the snout fever or the snout flu or the the snout issues, uh, and uh, there's a murder a murder of the opposition, and so it all basically comes down. It all falls on the shoulders of uh, Atari and Chief to take down the government and just show that there is a solution and uh, they have to go and basically try and try and win over the, the town. Yeah. And their person on the inside is uh, uh, exchange student Tracy Walker, who yes. is played by Greta Gerwig yeah. uh, in a very Wes Anderson movie. She's writing for the student paper in, in Wes Anderson world. The student paper can take down. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember writing for Inquire in Canterbury. We did we, write for Inquire and we, we took some people down, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, we did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely took down the government. That's how much power. We were like the Washington Post. <laughs> yeah, we were. Um, the Post is actually about us. <laughs> yeah. Spotlight is yeah. about yeah. you yeah. too. <laughs> um, 
so Tracy Walker, he she's our lead on on the outside world. Really. I feel like ch- ch- the Tracy Walker character is the character that you're not going to like if you don't like Wes Anderson. I think you're completely right. She's the one who I think is super Wes Anderson mm. with the the way she looks, the way she acts, everything she does. She she's from Rushmore. She's one of the Tenenbaums. Well, she's just like super hyper enthusiastic and yeah. sort of slaps about Yoko Ono at one stage which I had a bit of an issue with like, yeah. um, I think Yoko Ono was I mean she's she says about four or five words in the entire mm. in the entire film but there's a moment where kind of it's up to her to kind of speak forward and speak the truth and is understandably quite upset and and had a bit of a rocky ride of it and and uh, Tracy really does bash her about mm. a bit and uh, that that felt a little bit didn't know. I sort of sided with Yoko on that one. Chocolate milk. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I kind of wish Yoko had she's, fought She's back. drunk on chocolate milk. That's why. <laughs> well, Beth, I think off the point you were just making about her thrashing around uh, Yoko and his character is brings into the idea of violence in these Wes Anderson films, which is I think since Fantastic Mr. Fox is something he's really leaned into in a quite a strange yeah. way. I'm thinking of the uh, the arrow and the dog in Moonrise yeah. Kingdom. Well, if you think about Royal Tenenbaums, like, there's a, a decent mm. amount of knifing in that film, yeah. Um, yeah. which is a just suicide. hyper-normalised, yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, and the, the, the fingers in Grand Budapest. Well, the whole of Grand Budapest the is pretty violent. in yeah. Grand Budapest, he really the cat. doesn't like cats. Yeah, and there's there's the the punching scene where yeah. they all punch each other. Yeah, there's well, it's kind of slapstick violence, though, isn't it? Yeah, and in this, I think he he still does that fantastic Mr. Fox thing of when there is a fight, it's more of a dust cloud. Mm. Yeah, that, which is always which I is like really watching. fun. Yeah, I like that. that and it was, throw cotton wool. Yeah, thing. yeah. The, the the inventiveness behind the visuals, mm. I will just I step and say is is quite brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Um, even things like kind of frosting coming out of glasses in the science labs and oh, things. Yeah. It's mm. kind of like snowflakes, yeah. like felt snowflakes, and yeah. it is just glorious. It, yeah, it really is. And what uh, what was that, that point was kind of leading me into is what initially I found quite jarring about it because I'd never really seen it before, but it made me love the film, is that the dogs are all battered and bruised and they've been mistreated or they've hurt themselves and because there's no one around to help them, they're all a bit jagged and a bit dirty and a scar. Oh, yeah. And I initially, because we, how often do you ever see that in a mm. film? You don't. And yeah. then initially, I thought, wow, that's quite hard. It's quite hard to look at because I, I love dogs, and like, <laughs> I I mean, love it doesn't instantly makes me sad to see them hurt. And like, that's like, then that made me actually kind of feel for them more because I hadn't seen that before. I feel more upset by that than the boy with a piece of plane in his head, <laughs> lodged in his head. That you can go over, but there's a slightly chewy dog. Yeah, but they're dogs. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Some of them are pretty pretty gammy as well, like yeah. Jupiter mm. and uh, the Harvey Keitel dog. He's uh, Harvey, Gondo. Gondo, he's uh, been through some stuff. Another yeah. scene stealer. Just these, I, I think it was the sub characters that made it for me. So mm. it was yeah. uh, Oracle. It was, you know, it was Jupiter and it was, um, yeah, the Harvey Co- I can't remember the name of Harvey. Gondo. Gondo. Mm. Um, it's just, I think, yeah, he's just got a Seymour Speaks, but my goodness, he, he steals it. And spots himself, Lee Schreiber, which is yeah. uh, really nice. Like a perfect little voice. A nice voice twin to yeah. Brian Cranston. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, really nice pairing for those two. Um, gruff, but friendly gruff. Like yeah. they'd be a good PE teacher. Could PT to or, or, <laughs> or a cop you'd trust in yeah. a dirty town. Yeah, but the he'd be willing that... to do the stuff that the others won't. But ultimately, he's For always the on good. the side of justice. Yeah, yeah, almost like Jack Reacher. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> almost like Jack Reacher. 
Oh, Lee Shriver could be Jack Reacher. I was going to say Brian Cranston. Younger Brian Cranston <laughs> yeah, could yeah. be Jack Reacher. Yeah, could be. Are they tall enough, though? Can they reach things? <laughs> they can't reach That's what them. he does. He does. That's the whole plot of those films and books. All right. Um, so let's, uh, let's talk about the music. Then. So it's the uh, West Coast Pop Art Experimental Band. Yes. which could be the name of a Wes Anderson film. Yes. And they have... So that song is in the trailer. It's also when they're just walking along the horizon. And yeah. that's a really nice musical moment that but I stood think, out to like, me. That's like the big track that's very him. But I think the score is a bit different. It's not... Alexandre as... Desplat. Yeah, but he's not doing the Grand Budapest thing where it's... Yeah, yeah. Sorry, what was that? It was... I think that it's a bit more chilled at points. Yeah, There's some whistling right. in here. Um, there's the uh, sleigh bell ride, uh, the one that turns into the whistle, which is the becomes the intro for Greg Lake's uh, "I Believe in Father Christmas." Is it actually from that? Or it's it not from like that. that. No, but that it, like right. it's quite a famous, okay. famous melody that then gets used for that. Am I right in saying it uses music from Seven Samurai at one moment? I don't know. I believe it might because there's the scene where the the pack are standing off against the robot dogs mm. fairly early on in the film. And almost shot for shot, that scene is from Seven Samurai. Right. And I think then it uses a little bit of the music. Well, he's kind of cited the influences of Kurosawa, Kurosawa all and stop motion yeah. Christmas uh, TV special. There's a lot of Seven Samurai. <laughs> there's a lot of... Uh, there's a film called Stray Dog by Kurosawa, which right. is used a lot in this film. Uh, there's a lot of Ran in the colour. Mm. Uh, a little bit of Throne of Blood as well in some of like, the mist and things mm. like that. But maybe... <clears throat> this goes back to what you were saying earlier. This is kind of like a Western view of Japan. Mm. And one of the big insights into Japan in Western culture is Kurosawa. Yeah. yeah. So maybe that's part of that as well. Well, that's I think sort of it's point. totally his romanticized view yeah. of what an kind of ultimate future Japan would be. Yeah. What's the, well, what's the, is it Megasaki? Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah. 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 It's like 20, 20 years in a yeah. future. So like a mild dystopia, yeah. I mm. think. Um, so we're probably going to have to wrap up the Isle of Dogs chat there. Uh, but if you've got any thoughts on Isle of Dogs, then uh, do email them to podcast at curzon.com or tweet them and we'll read them out uh, for next week's show. And actually, uh, well, let's uh, let's have some thoughts on Unsane. But I don't think either of you guys have actually had the chance to see it yet. It's Unseen. All right. Um, <laughs> that wasn't even worse. That was... <laughs> uh, that's the end of banter, isn't yeah, it? That's... I've done it. I've finished it. It's over, everyone. Yeah. Um, well, uh, Santosh uh, Saddle would say it's not over, in fact. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, he'd say that Unsane is well shot, well acted, and well directed. It goes beyond its shot on iPhone concept to tell a better story than other films of its genre. It's far from being perfect, and despite some flaws, it is an efficient experimental exercise from Soderbergh. Seven. Hammer blows out of ten. Seven hammer blows out of ten. <laughs> How many hammer blows are we giving Isle of Dogs? Um, I don't know whether it would hammer like because they don't have opposable thumbs, so they couldn't hold a hammer. Okay. So how many it, growls? How many? How many biscuitos? Puppy treats. Puppy treats. How many puppy treats? I'm going to give this eight puppy treats. Eight out of ten. I'm. I'm between uh, seven and eight. I think. I'm exactly the same. I'm. Ge- oh. You, can we do well, half? as we learn in the film, you can break the puppy treats in half. <laughs> okay. So you can have half I each. Do, thank you. So that Thanks. seven and a half. Yeah. Puppy treats. I too will go seven and a half. There we are. Um, all right. And uh, it's not the only film out this week. Uh, Sam, very quickly, you saw Journeyman, which I think I did see Journeyman. Yeah. yeah. It's a very good Paddy Considine directed drama. His first film as a director since Tyrannosaur, which uh, is incredible. It's not quite Tyrannosaur levels. 
So this is sold as a boxing film, but it's definitely not a boxing film. I'd say there's about five minutes of boxing in the whole film. Um, it's about a boxer who suffers a brain injury after a boxing match. And it's then about how he, played by Paddy Considine, and his wife, played by Jodie Whittaker, try and get through the next few months of their life now that he has this new illness. And it goes further than I thought it would with the illness. It's not just a simple, oh, I can't box anymore. Mm. It's actually far more, it's bigger than that. Right. And uh, some scenes are quite tough. There's a scene on the phone that a lot of people are talking about, which is incredibly hard to watch. And I, I, I welled up. Mm. Um, yeah, it's really good. It's really nice to see Paddy Considine do things that he clearly loves. I know he loves boxing. He used to be a he used to photograph boxing matches, I think. Cool. It's interesting that he's taken this route to make a boxing film, like and not not make a boxing mm. film. But um yeah, I love Paddy Considine and I'm very glad to see him behind the camera again. Yeah. Um and also I don't know who's designed it, but really gorgeous poster. Is that the tree? Yeah, yeah. The tree that becomes his brain inside a silhouette of the head. Just super simple but yeah. really lovely. And that uh, happens in the film as well. Oh. That's the illness. He turns okay. into a tree. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, uh, actually, I, I, I don't have a joke about the film. He's walking, he's on a journey and then gets struck by lightning and then becomes journeyman. So. Okay. Good. All right. Um, if you do want to stay at home this weekend instead of going to the cinema, um, you can check out Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool, which is uh, now on Curzon Home Cinema, which is actually a really sweet, lovely film. Yeah. Uh, I we did were it. five minutes late for that film. Ooh. We were. But it wasn't late on delivering feelings. It, they were right on time. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I had a uh, lovely chat with Paul McGuigan, uh, the director of the film and the director of my new favourite film, Victor Frankenstein, which I hadn't discovered at the time. Uh, but if I had, I would go back and talk to him for hours. Uh, about what was Victor the ETA on feelings in Victor Frankenstein? Uh, from 10 seconds in, because that's when the feelings come. Good. And they don't stop coming. Very prompt. Yep. Um, so do check that out. And I think that must be the end of the show. So do subscribe if you haven't before. Uh, leave a review and comment on iTunes as well. You can subscribe on Acast too if you're on that app as well. Um, but until next time, it's a goodbye from Beth, the Swedish Valhund of Swindon. Thanks. Bye. And from Sam, the Wolfhound of Woodford. Thank you very much. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. Your very own Sussex Spaniel, Jay Cameron. <laughs> Goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.